Welcome everyone to another episode of the Independent Teacher Podcast with me, your host, Susan Pallister, and my guests on today's show, Ian Lowe, an experienced primary school head teacher and CEO, and Patrick Mealy, formerly a secondary school leader. Now, both of them currently undertake mentoring and support for new head teachers, and they both have an extensive portfolio working as school improvement partners. So this episode is one where we're going to try and provide guidance and support to anyone who is a new head teacher or someone who may be aspiring to a headship role. So Patrick and Ian, welcome to our podcast episode today. And we're going to get straight into the questions, a bit like going for an interview. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I'm going to begin with Ian and I'm going to give you a scenario. OK, so yeah. uh, a new ed teacher uh, has just started, been in post about three months yeah. and has a meeting with a very experienced deputy head teacher. And this deputy teacher, very successful. Uh, the deputy head teacher has been responsible for the curriculum and the head teacher sits down in a meeting and says, look, I've reviewed everything. And what I want to do is take over um, most of the aspects of the curriculum and Ian I just wondered what advice would you give to that new head teacher well um I, th I mean it, there's there's a there's quite a lot in that question really isn't there in terms of um how you go about that I mean I think if I was coaching or supporting or mentoring a head a new head teacher into that I, I would be reluctant to be kind of asking the head teacher to kind of go right I'm taking control of this and pushing this person potentially what it will feel like for this deputy head pushing this person aside un unnecessarily, particularly if the curriculum is strong and actually there is no issues with the curriculum. I mean, curriculum will always need tweaks and it will always need um, improving and developing as, as the school develops. But I think it, that would, for me, would kind of go into the style of, of leadership and, and what you're expecting. So, I mean, I would talk about really with the head teacher like what is your strategic direction and you know how are you going to do that and actually if you're a new head teacher effectively what you've got to do is kind of create alignment and if you're going to go and basically go to the head deputy head teacher and, and dictate in some ways which is why I think I'm kind of hearing that question how is that going to build and you know kind of create sustainable relationships because if you can't create a sustainable relationship with your, your, with your deputy head, and then actually it's unlikely to create a kind of sense of team. If you can't do that, then you're, it's going to be really difficult to plan and organise, and it's going to be really difficult to kind of get results done as a result of that. So I think there's lots of elements within that, which I would kind of speak to, because actually you need to get that, that sense of team together mm. with your deputy head teacher. And it should be, if you're wanting to take control of the curriculum, which is all well and fine, well, do it collaboratively. Um, who else do you need to involve? I mean, actually, what, what changes to the curriculum do you want to make? For that question, for me, it, it, it will go back to that leadership style. What is the strategic direction? And actually, especially as you're a new head teacher, because actually the deputy head will potentially be feeling quite insecure, as most um, staff often are with a new head teacher. It, it is creates mm. a little bit of instability. You need to be very sensitive about how you go in and deliver that kind of message. I mean, in, in some circumstances, it may be appropriate, but actually, I think if you've got a strong curriculum, school is doing well, then, then happy days. But I think fundamentally, it's all about you need to be building those relationships, building that sense of trust, and actually, how are you going to 
collaboratively work together. And would it be okay to turn around and um, after they'd spoken with you, say, as a school improvement partner, to go back to the deputy and said they've changed their mind about what they were going to do? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, and, I th- and I think that would be a, a kind of a sort of a coaching and mentoring element as well in terms of, you know, let's let's talk about what that looks like and feels like for the deputy. What's it look like and feel like for you? Mm-hmm. And actually... I would argue humble leadership is 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 very strong leadership, and I think actually well, I think Ofsted actually produced a, a document uh, many years ago uh, talking about humble leadership and um, outstanding schools and humble leadership and how that actually works. And I think it takes stronger leadership to say, look, for these reasons, um, I think I've made an error, and actually in the future we ought to make these decisions jointly. Um, and actually, that's where you kind of set out particularly with with uh, going into a school, it, you know, what you as a head teacher got to set out the roles and responsibilities for each member of staff, but also the kind of terms of practice between you and, and the deputy. And that will be different for each scenario. But actually, I think it is, it, it takes really strong leadership um, to go, do you know what, actually, I, I kind of made a mistake there. And, and these are the reasons why I've made a mistake. What do you think? Um, I think we ought to do it like this from moving forward. Um, this is, you know, and and if if need be, kind of go back to research. That's why I always encourage new head teachers to do go look at the research. You know, what does that what does that say? And then let's try and instill that into how we do things. So it's you know, it's it's making making sure that whatever you decision you make has got some research behind it. But it, but actually, it's you know, you could go as long as the the children are in your you know your thought process then that's okay and actually you can make quite a lot of mistakes if staff get that you've got the children in hearts at mind but actually I think in this situation it's about again building more trust and I think really it is okay to kind of go look I'm sorry this is the way forward I think this is the way we would we need to work together to move things forward. Patrick can I can I bring you in here I mean what what's your view about the kind of adaptations that somebody new to headship has to make when they when they take on that role. Well, uh, I, I, obviously, I agree with uh, with what Leon has said. I, I would tend to use the analogy of somebody buying a house. When you move into a, a a new school as a head teacher, it's like you bought a house having just visited it once and not necessarily know. Um, how structurally sound it is or not. The first thing you do when you arrive is uh, build an extension that may um, undermine the whole structure of the house. Then you run the risk of your house crumbling down rather quickly. So my first advice would certainly be get to know the context where you are, get to know where the strengths and weaknesses are before you start, uh, if I can uh, use the phrase barge in, and therefore, I mean, and you know, going along with everything that uh, Ian said, it is very much a matter of getting to know the people and to know the school and to know what is good about the school and what may need to be addressed. But that is not going to come necessarily to the fore immediately and may not necessarily match what you have formed as an image through applying for the job and going through the interview process. And it really is a matter of being a bit humble about what you know. So coming back to you, Ian, uh, yeah. with, with all your experience, um, 
what what does it actually mean to be in charge of a school if you're the head? Well, I, th- I mean, that's, a, a, a re- again, a really quite a deep question. You're clearly in charge of a safeguarding of all, of all children and staff in terms of all that kind of, um, you know, statutory stuff. You, clearly, that is really, really important. But actually, it's more than that as well. I think it's about creating moral clarity, consistency, and I think it's about understanding your people. It's about ability to inspire. It's about having shared values. It's about including, you know, looking at manageable workload for staff, and it's all about appropriate challenge and autonomy. And I think all that kind of creates transparency and trust. It, it, it enables high expectation. It enables a focus on you know, appreciation of people, it, it, it allows people to kind of focus on their strengths and the school to develop around those strengths. And it, you know, it, it supports sort of development and learning as a culture, as a whole school. So I think having all those kind of elements kind of means being in charge. But then there's a different element. And if I'm kind of talking about personal experience, and I think it's quite interesting, actually, with, um, I've just read a statement from uh, the old Aston Villa manager, Dean Smith, who says he was a custodian of, of Aston Villa. And it was a very kind of, again, really humbling statement which he made. And I think that is that is the point to put in as a head teacher. You are a custodian of this school. And I think being in charge means you you take it from a place where it was and leave it in a better place when when you leave. And 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 all that in between. Is, is what that actually being in charge means. And I think in a practical sense, you kind of have that, I'm you know, in charge of all these people within the school. But actually what people often forget is actually that head teacher, you are actually a pinnacle in, in, in the community. And, I th- and unfortunately, this came to light for me when I'm, I um, was in the situation where unfortunately I had a child who, who, who died while I was head teacher and actually, the community then looks to you in terms of what do you do and what does a school do in relation to that and I'd never ever realised quite how much the role of uh, the head teacher was at the centre of of that community. Mm. Um, So being in charge means just being in charge of the school and all that uh, encompasses but actually what people will often forget is the, the outside of the school gates you are actually a kind of a, a real pillar of the community. And actually, in particularly in difficult circumstances, people will look to you in terms of what actions you take and look actually for guidance. And I think that was the situation that kind of brought that question to light for me, really. I mean, it's clear from your answer, Ian, that being ahead is far more than taking control of a school. I remember sitting down for lunch with... Um, someone on a course once who'd just become a head teacher and they said, oh, it's brilliant because, you know, I'm completely in control of everything. I've got real power that I've never had before. But I think what stands out from your answer is about working with people, for people, being a role model and exercising that role that you've been given with care and compassion. Patrick, can I turn to you now? Why do you think it is that in a minority of cases, some new head teachers end up micromanaging? And also, why do you think there's a blame culture in some schools? 
Can you remember, um, Suzanne, when, uh, after you just passed your driving test, and the first time you were driving the car by yourself, do you remember that? I do, yes. How did that feel? Liberating. <laughs> Liberating, yes. Were well, you frightened at all? No. I was very sensible and very, you know, I wasn't wild. No, you were frightened. That, 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 that's a good thing. So to answer your question, people may actually be like you, uh, sensible and feel liberated by being in charge. Others will be rather intimidated by it and suddenly feel a bit frightened. They feel that if they don't control everything, something is going to go wrong. Because if things go wrong, you step in first and saying, well, it can't be my fault, therefore it's yours. That makes sense. If I'm allowed to sort of dive sure, in there as yes, well, I think, yeah. I, think I, I have been under uh, <laughs> that, and um, I've also supported head teachers where there is micromanaging going on and, and there is a blame culture. And I think sometimes that actually leaders, particularly as they get higher up, they become de skilled mm. in different areas. And actually, when you have some members of staff coming to join your team and actually they are in some ways better than or perceived to be better than them or better than you it's a real leadership skill to be able to go that's fine when i used to go into schools with in special measures i used to have a kind of a little speech where i just go in and go look all of you are high, more highly skilled in different areas of the curriculum assessment safeguarding all the rest of it i said but what i have is the track record of being able to know what roles and responsibilities um, look like. I've got the, the skill set in building teams and I know what good looks like from that journey from special measures to good and how we can get there if we all work together. And it's been, again, it's come, kind of comes back being humble again. It's actually, what are, what are the skill sets of the leader and what are the skill sets of the staff around you and enabling them to be able to shine. And I think it's that is the issue sometimes when people feel a little bit insecure and feel as though they have to know and be the font of all knowledge. Mm. Whereas actually good leaders are um, understand that actually they don't have to be the font of all knowledge, but they have to be able to know where to access it and know how to make people shine. That's what I would say. Uh, I, I would just say one of the biggest issue uh, in, in uh, you know not letting people get on with it is a fear of failure yeah. you've got to you've got to take risks uh, and i think that the biggest problem is those heads um anybody who's in charge who is paralyzed by the fear of failure yes Ofsted as well i think there is that um there is that fear of failure and losing your job and all the rest of it which then you know makes people almost panic what Ofsted does really to a certain extent to a lot of heads it, it, it just makes them you know be frightened of being found out again and I, I think again it's a, as a head you hold other people to account so you should be able to um, face that yourself and I think the um, hiding behind the study is another thing which is extremely irritating to many members of staff who feel that uh, heads tend to use that as an excuse when they are weak. I would agree, I would agree with that I mean I, th I think my, my view has always been we're not doing this for Ofsted we're trying to create a good school for every child and Ofsted will come along and validate it. Ian, right at the start of our podcast, we talked about the mistakes that can be made when new head teachers try to introduce change. I just wonder if we could turn it around and be a little bit more positive now and maybe reflect on how a head teacher introduces change in a really successful way. I think one of the biggest things about 
introducing um, change within a school is actually knowing what change you need to introduce. You have to have a really good sound picture of the whole school and everyone's views to be taken into account. So what what we created was a, a kind of an emotional well-being school improvement framework, which effectively takes the viewpoints and it's all anonymous viewpoints of pupils, staff, um, parents and, and governors in a really detailed way in terms of like, what, what, what does teaching and learning look like at this school? What does leadership look like at this school? You know, how effective is the CPD? How effective are the strategies to support um, special needs and how effective are, is, is behaviour? Then you get a really rounded view of what the school is like from everyone's point of view. And I think what I found out over time was you know, I made all the, and it's quite embarrassing in some ways, made all those classic mistakes that we're talking about in terms of, right, we're going to do this now with, with very little understanding of what the values or understanding what other stakeholders felt the school needed to do and move forward. And actually, if you allow them to, to have an active voice in the change of the school, then it's not done to them it's done with them and I think that change is then really powerful because then if you are introducing for example a new uh, writing strategy then actually that strategy has been discussed why are we changing it what are the reasons behind it everyone's had a voice in what that looks like instead of a instead of like a bypass model it's, it's like I say it's being done with them and I think therefore they will then actively buy into the training, the support, the changes they need to make in classroom, in the teaching, in the pedagogy, or whatever they need to do to improve sort of um, writing or whatever it is that you're changing. But also they will be measuring it and the impact of it a lot more critically than and accept those uh, accountabilities a lot more because actually they're the ones who have set and, and bought into the change. And I think to so any school improvement journey, has to be a journey that is bought in by the staff and the stakeholders and they all understand where they are so they know the situation of where they are explicitly well but also they know where they're going to get to and also then they know that process of journey in between and what their role is in improving that that element of school improvement and i think that, that i think that is a key learning which i did learn very quickly mm -hmm. um particularly in, in supporting schools, again, in special measures, because actually sometimes you have to be kind of really pace driven. And actually these changes are changes we've got to make and they're the kind of low hanging fruit. But on the major changes, having a, a deep consultation about why we are doing it and, have, and staff having a real understanding of the change and, and then buying into that change will make the biggest impact over time. Now, the problem there is there is a little, you know, that that process is a long process and can take a, a quite a, a quite a considerable amount of time. And if you're in a, a school improvement journey, then and you've got Ofsted kind of on your back or for whatever reason, then you're taking quite a big risk. And that's got to be explained to the stakeholders and everyone's got to understand the reasons why you're doing it. But over time, it will actually bear fruit and, and it'll be more sustainable. So those are the kind of things that I, I feel will make it the biggest, biggest um, long-term sustainable improvement is about having a clear framework about how you do things and getting, um, getting really good 
pupil and staff and stakeholder voice. Patrick, did you have anything to say about that one? Um, whenever you want to introduce change and to improve things, particularly if you're in a difficult situation, you've got to make sure first you take people with you. Uh, it is, it is, it's an organic thing. You know, the hand cannot tell the eye, I've got no use for you. But the eye cannot tell the hand, well, you're not useful either. So therefore, it really is a two-way street where if you are the eye, the one with the vision, you need the hand, so otherwise nothing's going to be done. And unless there's a clear understanding that the two are interlinked and can work in different directions, then you probably have a better chance of uh, of success. Um, it, it, it's always amusing to um, joke to head teachers who would claim that they've done everything by themselves against <laughs> a useless staff. That doesn't happen. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but that does happen a lot though, Patrick, doesn't it? Well, exactly. <laughs> so we're coming to the end of our, of our discussion. Um, what I'd like to finish with, uh, do you have any tips and advice uh, for anyone who might be thinking of moving to headship? What would you say to them? <laughs> do it. <laughs> do you want to go first, Patrick? Be very careful. <laughs> go on, Patrick. Do you want well, to go I mean, first? You know, I mean, yeah, okay, I'll go first. I, you know, I, I was only joking. It, it is a very, very big um, step. Um, and you really have to ask yourself, but not just yourself, anybody who lives with you as well, whether that is really what you want and whether you can manage it. And I think it is really uh, a, a matter of thinking how you relate to people, how ready you are um, to carry the can, uh, take the risks and carry the can and um, have clarity about what you want to achieve. Uh, I think if you go into um, a leadership role uh, simply as an ego trip, then you may not be successful. Ian? Yeah, I, I would agree. That I think I think you, I think you also need to have a really strong vision about what you want to achieve, and actually have an understanding of how you're going to achieve it. But also, again, completely agree with Patrick. It's it's what that looks like and feels like on you as a person, and with with your family, because it is and can be quite all encompassing at at, at times. I think the other thing I would actually advise, and clearly I'm not trying to tout for business, but probably am as well, but but actually, even as a, a CEO of a, of a trust, um, my, I had a really good board and they encouraged me to have a mentor. And I met with that mentor at least once a month, um, and who wasn't in education actually, but he was in a senior leadership role in the NHS. And that was really good advice for me as, as a CEO in terms of, of doing that. What I had when I was first time head teacher, before the days of when really there was any support for, genuine support for head teachers, um, again, I, I got an experienced um, head who came into my school. I met actually every, I think at the time, because I was my first school was a, a school in quite severe difficulties. I had a, I had a, a coach, he came in every two weeks. And he was just there almost as a listening ear. And um, because it can be quite lonely at times, particularly when you first go into school. And I think actually having that person there just to, who was completely impartial to kind of 
for you to kind of have a scream, for you to kind of almost have tears or laugh. Um, but they was there to kind of talk through different scenarios and kind of give, you know, the unforeseen consequences to some of your actions that you're thinking of doing was really wise advice because they had no connection with the school whatsoever, uh, no kind of interest in the school. And therefore, you were able to talk openly and freely with, with a very, you know, a critical friend. And I know governance is there for that, but they all really have a, a bought-in interest. And actually, sometimes you just need that safe space. Mm. So I think my top tip, if anyone's going to go for headship, is you know, make sure you have the right skill set, as, as Patrick has clearly indicated, but also look after yourself in whatever way that means. And I think for me, it was about getting someone there who I could talk to um, and gave me some independent in, in, uh, advice. Can I just say thank you ever so much to both of you for coming on today's show, sharing you know, your advice, your wisdom. Um, and I think it's a really good point to end on this, this idea of support, isn't it? And mentoring and somebody just being there for you. Because as you say, it's quite a stressful and, and very lonely uh, role to take yeah. on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Susan. You have been listening to The Independent Teacher with Susan Pallister and my special guests on today's show, Ian Lowe and Patrick O'Mealy.